Welcome to Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Belknap, encouraging you to take hold of your dreams and pursue your passions. From behind the scenes to center stage, travel with me through the United States and Ontario, Canada. I'll be sharing with you the best places to see, stay, and dine. Along the way, we'll have interviews with people rocking from their own backyard to performing on world tours, bringing inspiration for you to live life loud. Welcome to the fifth episode of Live Life Loud. You know what that means. This is the first part of a new conversation. Our guest will be Dino Minoxilis. You might not recognize his name, but every bass player on planet Earth is currently part of his six degrees. Known to many as the Ampeg Guy, Dino is without question the face of this renowned amplifier company. Dino is also an accomplished musician, has written several instructional books for bass players of every level, and was also an instructor at Bass Institute, part of the Musicians Institute in California. We will get to know how Dino landed the gig at Ampeg and how the music community assured his position when it became part of the Yamaha Guitar Group. And now it's time to start this episode right. Here is your deep shower thought. I wonder if surgeons realize how good they have it. Getting to stab somebody with the intention of bringing them to life, all while getting paid to do so. Imagine, if you will, one man's journey through space and time. From the coast of California to the furthest reaches of Ontario, Canada sharing both experience and insight, hotels, restaurants, and interesting finds. You're about to enter this episode's edition of Travel Time. Cheese, beer, and Packers. I really enjoy traveling. Positioned to do this representing a well-known brand of audio gear was brought to my attention. Timing was great. I was fortunate to blaze my own trail with the only guideline being visit dealers with solid sales, train staff, and spend time with customers. For one of my first assignments, I was to travel outside my home state and visit an area where positive growth was trending. Doing so, I would visit with the managers and owners over the following week. Knowing nothing about Wisconsin, I felt this was a great place to start. I wanted to keep things simple, so I chose an airport and hotel central to my travel agenda. From all I could see on paper and online, the Green Bay area was good as anywhere to begin. This brought me to a small airport, a great rental car experience, and one ugly hotel. I flew into the Austin Straubel International Airport. At one time, the word international might have included the fact that they had flights from Canada. Currently, this airport only receives flights from five major U.S. cities. Normally, when I hear words like international, you tend to think of a larger airport. In reality, Austin Straubel is one of the smallest airports I have ever flown to. The baggage and ticketing area are the only connection between the two concourses. These concourses have no interconnections of themselves. Both have an area loosely called concessions and a private lounge along with a small play area. Things may have changed now, but security to enter your gate area was never on duty for evening flights until 4 p.m. at the earliest. A major bummer if you happen to hold an annual pass for the lounge. While size of this airport makes getting in and out relatively swift, it also means you should eat your last meal in town before arriving for your flight. Upon my arrival, it took less than 10 minutes taxiing to the gate and about another 10 minutes to get down to baggage claim. After this flight, I learned I could check in with the rental company for my vehicle and be good to go out the door before the luggage came down the carousel. 
Speaking of car rental, I was bestowed a most welcoming gift in the form of an upgrade my first time traveling here, a brand new Dodge Challenger. Travel between cities reminds me a lot of Michigan, only with many more straightaway stretches of road. Plenty of space to see what the Challenger could do. This brings me to the ugly. Wanting to put my best effort forward, and it being suggested to stay frugal with my hotel costs for the week, I located one not far away from the airport. I would consider this hotel chain to be mm, second best, and I was not staying on the western side of the state either. Travel agency listing for this location called it a conference center. I'm led to believe now the conferences referred to those who drank 20 beers and then walked 20 minutes back to the hotel from Lambeau Field or stumbled around for that 20 minutes trying to get back into the room from the Resch Center, all for the most important meeting of the night with their porcelain receptacle. I cannot recommend staying here for more than one night. In addition to a giant plaque in the room denoting charges for any items broken or stolen, you are greeted by a statue of Captain Morgan who is missing an arm when you enter the breakfast area every morning. While on this trip, I discovered love for all things cheese and beer held by most, if not all, the people I met. The love for both is equal, but it is evident the residents are most proud of their NFL team, the Green Bay Packers. While in Wisconsin, you may ask yourself, do I want to fit in? You may ask yourself, what can I do to be on the good side of the wait staff where I eat? You might ask yourself, how do I break the ice when talking to a group of people for the first time? Should any or all of these questions be important to you? Then you need to learn and repeat the following phrase. Go Packers! Besides affecting all aforementioned scenarios for good, this phrase may cause the following side effects. Sudden impromptu positive responses from everyone in the room. Discussion of current versus legendary players for the team. Five minutes of ice breaking with everyone in your meeting. Recognition as a fellow cheesehead. And a quiz of your current Packer knowledge. In the next installment, I will share more about Wisconsin. The top five hotels I stayed at during my three years of visiting this state favorite places to eat and other worthwhile stops, including cheese store and music shops every musician should visit, all in the next Travel, travel time. time. In this episode, we have the first part of a great conversation with the MPEG guy himself, Dino Monoxilis. Dino is more than just a pretty bass and he's going to share with us what landed him the gig, how the music industry and music community rallied around him during one of the biggest transitions ever for the brand, and insight into Ampeg's line of guitar amplification. How long have you been with Ampeg? When, when did you get started with them? That's a good question. Yamaha gave me my 16-year pin, because they went back through the records how many years I actually was full-time with Ampeg. Oh. So, yeah, it's basically this is going into, I guess officially, this is going into my 17th year. I started with them unofficially, like a couple of years prior to that. Okay. I've always played Ampeg. You know, I've, I've you know, I played other brands oh, here sure. and there. You know, everybody has. But mm -hmm. 15 years old, going with my dad to buy my first SVT used from this guy that was selling it. It was actually the bass player from the band Mass. Here in, in here in New Hampshire. Oh wow. You know, 
at the Cambridge Music Complex in Cambridge, Mass. It started like a couple of years prior. I had just moved back from L.A. and I was working at a music store here in, in New England. Our store had just taken on Ampeg. Okay. And at the time, we were considered heavy hitters. You know, there was an X amount of dollars that they had to buy in. I, I forget what it was, like $5,000 or some random number. Sure. And the owner came down, the owner of the store came down. He was like, listen, you want Ampeg in this store. Is you got to sell $5,000 worth of gear. He says, because that's what it's costing me to get into the brand. I said, yeah, no problem, Bill. No problem. And with within a month. I had sold through all the all the Ampeg. I called every bass player I knew in in Mass, New Hampshire. Dude, we got Ampeg. Get your butt in here. The rep, who's actually one of my best friends to this day, he comes in. He goes, "I don't know how you're doing it, man." He says, "But they just placed like another five thousand dollar order." Like after he came down from the office, I said, well, uh-huh. we we finally have good bass gear to sell. So, right. you know, that theory, like if you build it, they will come. Well, we have good gear in here. So now I can get good bass players in here, you know, and we can sell to our students as well. Yeah. So that transpired into once a year, they would do a um, like a two day symposium with they're out of business now, but daddy's junkie music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like one of the biggest stores here in New England. Uh, the rep, Bill Norton, and the product manager for Ampeg at the time, Tommy Wilson, he approached Tommy and said, we got to get Dino to do these demos for us up at Daddy's because neither one of them were bass players. Oh, I see. Tommy was a drummer, so he'd go in with a PowerPoint and just talk about Ampeg. Sure. So they were like, we got to get Dino to do these presentations <laughs> with you to do the play, you know, the, the organ grinder oh, thing. I like he was, he was the... He, <laughs> <laughs> he was the hacker and I was I was the monkey, uh-huh. you know, sort of thing. Yep, yep. Dog and pony show, as they say. Oh yeah. Um, so he would talk and I would play. And then that transpired into just me going out to NAM every year. You know, Tommy'd be like, Hey, you're coming out to NAM. Would you would you want to work the Ampeg booth for us? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they were paying me a boatload of money to do it. And they were giving me it was like Wheel of Fortune. They were giving me cash and prizes. Oh man. To do it. So finally, Tommy's boss got involved and said, you know what? It'd be easier to just hire him full time. <laughs> <laughs> be cheaper to hire him full time right? than to hire him as a, as a contractor. <laughs> you know, and that's that's how it started. And it wasn't even necessarily yeah. that you knew anybody at Ampeg, but they saw the value in what you were already doing for the brand and said, got to have it. I believed in the brand so much because I was a fan of the brand for so many years, you know, and, and I remember going back to that original conversation with, with the store owner that I work for, you know, he, he wanted, he wanted to build the base business in that store, you know? So he yeah. says, I need you to pick a base amp line and a couple of base guitar lines, you know, that, that you would want to see in here. And of course, you know, Ampeg was, well, you got to get Ampeg in here because that's, you know, I could talk about it. That's what I play. Right. You know, and right there is a huge asset knowing, knowing the stuff before you get to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I could tell a bass player, like, this is the amp that you want. Just buy it and trust me. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Imagine a sales guy telling you, trust me. <laughs> so you've officially been with Ampeg for 17 years. Yeah. Unofficially, probably closer to 20. 
yeah. from the sounds of it. Yeah. So I think my official start date would have been 2004. Yeah, so it would have been like 2003, 2002 is when I started courting with them. You've been able to sail the winds of change <laughs> I, a couple times. I feel like that old spinster. I've been, I've been through five different husbands, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been through three different owners, honey. <laughs> now that you're with the, with the Yamaha Guitar Group, I know that that same group also has in it Line Six. Yes, and I, I've seen that you you've dabbled with a couple of pieces of Line Six gear with with good results. From yeah. the sounds of it, we've got the big papa of bass gear. Yeah, the one that's been known for bass gear. They did guitar amps. They've even done guitars and basses. You know, in and out through the years. Yep. But then you've got next to them the crazy uncle of modeling, the one who pushed the envelope. How is it like having a, a traditional <laughs> amp build company like Ampeg next to a technology company like Line Six? Oh man! So <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. When when I when this all happened and I started working, um. I used to tell my president in my presentations, I would say nothing. And I mean, nothing sounds like an SVT. Nothing sounds like an all tube amp SVT. And <laughs> the product manager for line six, Andy, again, a buddy of mine comes up, he goes, you got to be careful when you say that. <laughs> okay. You're kind of treading on the line six territory there because in one respect, you know, Ampeg is a company that honors 60 year old technology with big glass tubes and heavy transformers. Mm -hmm. And line six honors this cutting edge modeling technology and IRs. And so it was kind of a learning curve explaining to like the line six development group and the line six engineers, because now they're all kind of one big happy family where, you know, these guys that work on modeling yeah. work on tube amplifiers and vice versa. So okay. there's a lot of crosstalk between those two, but I got to say they were very, very respectful, not wanting to push the high tech stuff on mm. to Ampeg. And, and I remember sitting in meetings with, you know, everybody from engineering and development and them asking me, how do you think the Ampeg customer base would feel if like next year we came out with a digital modeling SVT? I was like, that's being a little too aggressive. Right. Hence why we did the Heritage 50th SVT. Like what's the first thing that Yamaha in their ownership released? Another 85 pound all too big amplifier, you know? right? And and just the head at that, you know, just just to kind of say, we are honoring the sixty year, seventy year legacy of this brand, and we don't want to we don't want to dishonor it. It really was interesting doing that, but like you said, you know, at some point, Ampeg is Ampeg's poised in a position like no other base camp company is right now. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, yeah, we're still building tube amps. We're still building hybrids. We've got the class D stuff. You know, we're still building yeah. base amps. But with all the resources and technology available to us through Yamaha and through Line 6 now, I mean, we can venture into still building base solutions for base players that don't necessarily, may not come in the result of a base amplifier. 
Got it. You know? Yeah, no, that's, that's very, that's, that's fair because I know they're uh, even early on for line six, uh, Ryan Hold Bogner was very excited about what line six offered and they have had uh, two, three, uh, maybe even four now ventures with Reinhold, not just in modeling, but in designing hybrid amps that yeah. took the best of both worlds. Or in the case of the, the DT series, which came out a few years ago, which seems to be the, the Line 6 tube complement for the Helix platform. Yep. yep. It's like, okay, we don't want to put these two into each other because everyone's told us don't put these two into each other but let's make something that can work separately or complement at the same time. Now you've got Ampeg in the camp with Line 6. Yeah. And I know in the past that Ampeg has licensed tone packs to software companies to yes. be able to produce and sell. Like I have, actually I have one of those on my phone. Yep. Yep, me too. Um, I, on, I don't use it as much as I use my SCRDI, but yeah. I do have it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's really exciting. I'm so excited about the future of what, Ampeg can offer bass players long after I'm gone from the brand or gone from the company or gone from this world. Dominic and I, Dominic's the the product manager. Okay. He and I sit down and like, you know, we'll map out like the next five or six years worth of stuff. And it's like, can we do that now? Can we do it now? Like, why can't we do it now? It's like, well, there's, you know, yeah. Obviously, you know, in manufacturing and whatnot, there's there's a process that has to be held in place, and you know, there's only so many people that can that can work on so many different products. But Absolutely. yeah, it's just like, dude, let can, oh man, like we're constantly getting ahead of ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it really is. It, it's so cool to to see what what's going to come down the road. Stuff that you know. I can't talk about here, but uh, yeah, no, obviously, but even stuff that we haven't talked about, it's like maybe someday there'll be like a brain chip, you know, a a plug-in for your brain chip. (laughs) It's like, well, you know, we now have these brain implants in the 22nd century and I'm a bass player. So I'm going to just have a plug-in insert. Right. Yeah. As long as it's not based on facial expressions, we will all be okay. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, So with uh, with some tighter integration, and this is totally speculation. Mm-hmm. I'm not not trying to pry you for info on this question. Yeah, no, no, that's thought. cool. When uh, when a new hybrid combination solution from Line Six and Ampeg were to happen, do you think it would fly under the Line Six brand first, or would it fly under the Ampeg brand? Are they trying to keep those more separated? Uh, yeah. Line Six more towards the guitar, and Ampeg bass. Yeah, so Line Six obviously has. You know they, they they've got base products, yeah. Not as many now, right? The lowdown and the base pod, yeah. And they don't even I don't even think they make they don't definitely don't make the lowdown anymore. Um, the base pod I don't believe they do, and even the Variax base I think is gone as well. Yeah, I haven't seen one of those in years. But anything moving forward, I would think in the terms of like what you just mentioned, you know, hybrid. DSP stuff, I think would probably lend itself more towards the Ampeg name. Okay. Uh, providing that, like, there's been, there's, and I can, there's been, we've had discussions about, like, you know, certain features and certain things like that, where I have said that sounds more like a Line 6 product than it does an Ampeg product. Okay. You know, or, no, you know what? I think that 
that that sounds more like an Ampeg product because it's got these certain features that lend itself towards what Ampeg is and was. So that all, you know, that all depend that still remains to be seen in, you know, in speculation, but I mean, you know, they bought a base amp company, so right. Yeah, so you make use it, you know. That's 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 my view. Yeah. What would you think what would you consider to be the most misunderstood piece of gear Ampeg has produced? What was something that came out, it looked like it was going to be a hit, and it just took a nosedive and didn't really do anything, and all of oh, a sudden... You're, you're putting this right up on a tee for me, aren't you? He's like... <laughs> Doing my best. <laughs> um, yeah, man. G, uh, GVT, guitar amps. Great amplifier, well-designed, very misunderstood by retailers. And I think by guitar players in general. Um, sure. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, you know, they did everything right to promote it. Hired the right guy, you know, an, a, a guitar God, you know, well, maybe, I don't know if Rick was necessarily, uh, he, when you hear him play, he is a guitar God, but. Right. Somebody he, who, who was more than just a, a face, somebody who could actually yeah. present represent the product the way it needed the yeah. way it was supposed to be it was just misunderstood because it was such a great product it was a typical ampeg guitar amp that's the thing like people were asking for guitar amps we get you know we mm -hmm. get emails hey when are you guys going to redo the vt22 and when are you guys going to do the v3 and it was based on previous versions of guitar amps i think the biggest thing was the eq was a baxendall eq Tell us about that. So on a regular guitar amp, like, like a Fender Twin or a Marshall, where you have, you know, a traditional tone stack. So when you turn up your bass, mm -hmm. it affects the treble control and vice versa. Like okay. all those controls on a standard guitar amp work in conjunction with one another. Right. Okay. Turn up the treble. Oh, it sounds like I lost bass. Well, yeah, you did because it's, it, it interacts with the bass control. On a Baxendall EQ, and the same EQ that we've used on Ampeg amps for years, um, and on these GVTs, each knob is independent from itself. So when you turn up the bass control, you're turning up the bass control. Same thing with the treble control. And it's boost and cut. Okay. Unlike a traditional tone stack where you start at zero, and then it's all boost from there. On a Baxendall, zero is straight up. And then you can either cut your frequency or you can boost your frequency. Mm. And I think guitar players were afraid of turning those knobs to, to a certain degree. Like if you want a bass, you had to turn the bass control all the way up. You know, whereas like on a traditional tone stack, it'd be like, ah, let me turn it a little bit here and do this and like minor oh, okay. adjustments. I think that kind of scared a lot of guitar players away. It's it's very much like a car stereo amp. There we go. So, you know, when when you call up, you know, your your tone controls and you see bass and treble, and then there's a center point. So mm -hmm. you can either boost your bass or you can cut your bass. Same thing with your treble. And today that's known as part of the sound of the Ampeg bass amp. That's that's always that's been has that been with an Ampeg amp since the days of SVT? Yeah, oh yeah, because the Baxendall okay. goes all the way back to I think like the B fifteen was oh, wow. the first used and, and traditionally a traditional Baxendall EQ is I think it's just bass and treble control. There's no mid-range control. It's just Got you it. can turn up your bass and you can turn up your treble or or cut them. And like yeah. a lot of people who are listening probably don't realize is that Ampeg 
started making guitar amps when Fender was making guitar amps. They they are the same age. Uh, and yeah. something really cool that I found out was that Ampeg was actually the first to introduce a reverb circuit before Fender even considered it. That's right. You were, you were listening to my presentations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast. We hope you'll join us again, and be sure to let your friends and family know about us. To find out more, visit decibolic.com and sign up for our Louder Life newsletter. The views and opinions expressed during this episode are those of our guest and host below. Remember, wherever the road takes you, live life loud. loud.